0: It is good to be in the house of the Lord with you this morning. What did you think of that uh, scripture reading from Numbers chapter 33? Yeah. Wow! Wow, so, okay, what, what I have to tell you is, I've got to tell you this, I called on two of our best readers to see if they'd be willing to read it, and both of them bailed out, okay? So... So Jordan, who's always willing to do anything that is uh, uh, fearsome, uh, he took it on. And so, well done, well done, well done. It is the word of the Lord. Okay, uh, we cannot be skipping these parts of the Bible. There is a reason these things were written down. The scriptures are inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's not random. Okay, this is not the work of man. This is the work of God. And it's not only was written down; it was preserved through centuries for us and we get the privilege and I think if we actually meditate on these passages uh, we will discover God's truth Uh, Yeah, so I would encourage you to go home and study the rest of that chapter that we skipped over we we did streamline it a little bit uh, for the purposes of this service we're beginning to settle into this new Sunday morning schedule I was teaching the third through fifth graders some of them are here this morning that was a lot of fun okay those of you who got third through fifth graders high quality children I had a really really good time unfortunately I had to cut out and get back up here uh, but I think maybe I just want to keep doing that okay madam school director okay so that was that was a real that was a real pleasure for me. You know, third through fifth grade is is a great point in their life because they they're not stinky and in diapers anymore. Okay, they're really they're they're really smart, right? They're they're smart, but they're not yet cocky. All right, it's like it's a sweet it's a sweet spot, uh, and I, I really had a great time. So the first adult Sunday school class that I ever taught was at Belfield Presbyterian Church in Pittsburgh. At that time I was a graduate student studying philosophy and I titled the class Stages on Life's Way. And I stole that title from a book by the Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard whom I was studying at that time. Now the class had nothing to do with Soren Kierkegaard but rather it consisted of seven interviews that I conducted in the class with seven members of our congregation from seven decades of their lives. People in their 20s, people in their 30s, people in their 40s, people in their 50s, people in their 60s, people in their 70s, and people in their 80s. I don't think we reached the 90s, okay? And it was uh, a wonderful class. I mean, my part was easy. I just had to pretend that I was Dick Cavett I would ask a lot of questions. They would say interesting things uh, about their lives and their faith journey. Because here's the thing. Jesus means different things to us when we're 20 and when we're 80. God meets us in all of the stages of our life god is with us from cradle to grave i've told you this before it's the reason that i'm in this church and not in a new church plant because i wanted to be in a church that had babies and had people in their hundreds okay we're a cradle to grave church this is how we live our life this is how we should be doing church together all right i'm 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 fearful of churches where you've got young people but there are no people old people present Artificial. I'm fearful of churches where you only have old people and none of the young people are present. It's not the way it's supposed to be. We're doing it the right way here, cradle to grave ministry. Jesus means different things to us at different points in our lives. And along the way, while God doesn't change, we change. And the things that we need from God change. And over time, our relationship with God will begin to develop and will begin to evolve. And if everything goes right, our relationship will become sweeter and deeper and richer with the passage of time. The Apostle Paul, who often talked about the Christian life as a kind of a race, one to be run to the very end so that we might win a crown, the Apostle Paul makes it known to us that the struggle is for all of our days. We may come to faith as the result of an altar call, but the Christian life is more than just answering an altar call, being a Christian is about our whole life through all of its stages, lived in light of the fact that there is a life after this life. This life, it's a flash in the pan. And if you don't believe me, Go talk to someone who's old. When you're young, time drags, but as you get older, the pace picks up. By the time you reach 90, the wait from one Christmas to the next Christmas is about as long as the wait from one weekend to another when you're a teenager. Life is sweet, but life is fleet. Eternity is forever, and it's the real show. And the Apostle Paul was able to come to the end of his life and write to his young protege, Timothy. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. I was in my early 30s when I did that stages on Life's Way Sunday school class. I was just starting out myself, you might say. I was recently married. I already had a baby. We got pregnant on our honeymoon. I was in graduate school, which is you know, a weird kind of adult limbo. You're no longer in college figuring out who you are. You're in a professional school designed to give you the credentials that you need to enter into your career, but you're not yet in your career. And so you're in this weird middle place. And I had only recently returned to the church. I had been raised in the church. My father was a pastor. I had made a profession of faith in the fourth grade, but in college I walked away from God, and I was gone for 15 years. And so there I was, newly married. I had a daughter still small enough to carry around in my arms, which, by the way, is the perfect age. You just put them right, you put them right here. And if they're any trouble, you just pick them up. Okay? We're going gonna to freeze Sebastian at this age. He's like, he's like that's prime prime time he, uh, he's growing every, uh, it's amazing he's, 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 I remember so but you know, the, the age that Sebastian is now is the age that Rosie was when I was teaching this this class and there I was in 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 graduate school and I'm I'm, I'm this twice born-again Christian who's rediscovering the church And I was fascinated by the stories that these Christians were telling about their lives and their journey with Jesus as I interviewed them in this Sunday school class. In one of Plato's dialogues, I don't remember which one, Socrates says how much he enjoys talking to older people because older people are like travelers you meet coming the opposite way on the road. They've already been on that road ahead that you're gonna be traveling and they can tell you about what's coming up ahead. If you're 20 and single and in college, you have no idea what it's like to be 35, married with kids and working to advance your career. And if you're 35 and doing the soccer mom Thing. You have no idea what it's like to be a 70-year-old retiree discovering the fun of grandkids and volunteering. Each stage is different. We tend to take our own stage too seriously and not care about the other stages, but if we're lucky, we'll get to go through all of the stages before we finally come to the final stage of this life, that stage where we lay it down, we lay down that work, We say goodbye to the ones that we love, and we close our eyes, and we rest in God. And then we open them up. (laughs) And we're with them forever. There is a life after this life. And Jesus told us to lay up treasures. In the life that's after this life. By how we live the life here before eternal life. This life that we are having now is transient. It goes really fast. But we need to live every moment of this life in light of eternity. And when we live life in the light of eternity. We give this life a dignity and a weight and a beauty that it would not have otherwise. It's funny because it might seem like the weight of eternity would knock the wind out of this ephemeral life. But just the opposite is true. I was at Presbytery a week ago with Bruno and somebody said, I can't remember who said it, but somebody said, you know, as a pastor you cannot rush. What they meant was that you have to spend time with people if you're going to be their pastor important conversations take time you cannot speed them up you can't be thinking about that other thing that you need to do and should be running off to do because your work as a pastor is to take time with people time with that person and that time is important I think the weight of eternity rather than knocking the wind out of this passing life, actually breathes life into it. When we slow down and take time to be with God, take time to reflect upon those things which are eternal, things that we normally do when we're with our Christian brothers and sisters, when we slow down, we begin to orient ourselves toward eternity. And then, We begin living this life in a way that actually counts. Numbers 33. Thank you, Brother Jordan. It's a list of 42 camping spots on the journey from Egypt to the Promised Land. And this passage, this list of 42 place names, might seem strange and boring to some people, I've told you before that it does not appear in the lectionary reading, so if if you go to a lectionary church, you you would miss this passage. Some people think it's boring, but to me it makes perfect sense. I am by nature a historian and an archivist. I love to keep track of the past and to keep it all lined up in order. If you come to my office, and by the way, all of you are invited to stop by my office anytime I'm there, basically 9 to 5, Monday through Friday, you're allowed to stop by. If you come to my office, you'll see that it's a complete wreck. There's papers and books piled up everywhere. I got paintings on the floor. It's a mess. But the books in my office and every wall in my office has bookshelves on it. The books in my office are actually perfectly arranged according to the date when I read them. Okay. On the last page of any book in my office, uh, you will find my initials written and the date when I finished the book, and then all of the books are put in order, um, and you can see my entire reading history from about the 8th grade on. Okay? So, and don't make fun of it. You can come in and look at what I was reading in the 8th grade, but you know, I don't read that stuff anymore. All right. In my attic... By the way, and also in Grandma Jones' attic, I got two attics. Okay, in in both of those attics, I got boxes and boxes of files, lots of files. I have files arranged by years of all of the letters I have ever received, and I have copies of every letter and every postcard I've ever sent. The old ones are carbon copies. Some of you are old enough to remember carbon copies. The newer ones are. Uh, photocopies, and there they are. They're, they're lined up by date. I also have uh, files that are dedicated to any trip that I've taken, any substantial trip that I've taken, and in the file goes all these different pieces of paper that I picked up along the way, uh, receipts from the restaurants that I stopped in, and postcards, and flyers, and, and roadmaps. Okay, this is the roadmap for my most recent trip. I went to a town that uh, I went to Speculator New York. Let's see where is it? And so on, on the map, I mark as I'm going along where I am, and I mark where we stopped for lunch. this is where, this is where we spent the night. And then when I'm done, I stick it in a file, and one day my biographer will be able to recreate what I was doing with my. <laughs> got a plan ahead, Don, right? Okay. You just, you you know, nothing a biographer hates worse than not enough material to work with. This book, the book of Numbers makes sense to me because it's a record of the journey of these people for 40 years. And in Numbers 33, Moses specifically writes down a list Of all of the places they stopped along this journey, there are 42 of them, 42 stops mentioned in this litany that Jordan read for us this morning, 42 place names. Most of those place names, we have no idea where they are. I mean, of course, this journey happened through a wilderness. It's a wasteland. There are no cities there. There are no permanent human dwellings. But these 42 place names were remembered by Moses, who recorded all of the stops. And I would like to suggest that the stops along the way fall into three categories number one, the good. Number two, the bad. And number three, the boring. The boring, not the ugly, the the, the boring. The good, the bad, and the boring some of the places mentioned are forever associated with times when god did something really amazing for the israelites places associated with god's faithfulness toward his people these are the good places other places in this list are forever associated with the times that the israelites were complete jerks rebellious complaining disobedient ungrateful places associated with the Israelites' unfaithfulness toward God. Those are the bad places. And then there's a whole bunch of places, and it turns out it's actually the majority of this list, where apparently nothing terribly good or terribly bad happened. It was boring. The good, bad, and the boring. And I think that what is true of Israel crossing the wilderness is probably true of our lives. So let's talk about the good. Don't raise your hand because I don't want to embarrass anybody. (laughs) But hit the yes button in your mind if you have had some really good times with God. There are times when God is just so real and so close. There are times when God, like shows up in this big way in our lives. There are times when God opens our eyes to see things that we have never seen before. There are times of real communion with God and with God's people. There are times when we have a relief after the storm that threatened to swamp us. There are times of celebration, like when babies and jobs and true love falls out of the sky on us. There are times when our hearts are bursting with joy because things have turned out so well. There are times of purpose and times of resolve in our lives, times of clarity about our calling. There are times when we know that God is real. And that Jesus died on the cross to take away the sins of the church. And that we personally have been forgiven. There are times when we feel the weight of our sin lifted. And there are times when we have peace that just doesn't make any sense at all. I hope all of you have had some good times with God. I hope that in your life there have been some good camping places for you to stop at sometimes we call those good camping places mountaintop experiences mountaintop experiences oftentimes come after times of terrible difficulties When the israelites are being chased by the egyptian army and are backed up against the red sea things are so bad that it looks like going back into slavery might be a good solution for them but then god opens up the sea and he lets them pass through to safety and then god closes the sea over top of the army utterly destroying the enemies of god's people yes god's people have enemies and god will destroy them you remember what the people did when they showed up at the far side of the Red Sea. They began to sing. They had a song, it was a new song. Miriam's song, Moses' song. I will sing unto the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider thrown into the sea. It was sweet. It was an amazing experience. It was a near-death experience. And then it became a complete deliverance. Some of us here this morning have our backs up against a sea, and we see the enemy rushing forward. we need to believe that God can still open a way through the sea. I don't know what it is that makes us think that God is no longer in the miracle business. I don't know what makes us think that God does not care about us at least as much as the children of Israel. Sometimes we just don't ask God for the miracle that we need, and I think we need to get accustomed to doing it. We need to get accustomed to asking God for the big stuff that we need. Now, I've also encouraged you to pray for small stuff. I think it is absolutely appropriate to pray for a parking space when you're trying to go downtown. It's fine, okay? God is not too busy to deal with that but I think we, sometimes we want to take the big stuff back into our hand. We need to ask for some really big stuff. Okay. Brother Rich was up here before us telling us that we're $28,000 in the hole. I think it's roughly 10% that our giving is off this year. Okay. It adds up. It takes a lot to run a church and to keep the lights on and keep the roof patched. Uh, have we asked God to fill the hole? I don't know that we have. Maybe we will a little late in the service. God will provide. Sometimes, and I've seen this, God will open up a way through the sea, but we'll be too unbelieving to step into that way. Or we'll just be defiant or disobedient and say we're not going to do that. God opens a way of salvation and we're like, I don't think I'm going to do that. Let's not make that mistake either. Let's ask for big things, and when God opens up big opportunities for us, let's step right into them. God offers free gifts, but we have to receive them. We have to grab them. God shows us the way, but we have to obey, and we have to follow him. And then when we do, well, then the deliverance is enormous, and God rescues us, and God prospers us, and God settles us in that wide, open, and well-watered land. God wants us to be in a good camping ground. That's the good. Let's talk about the bad. Now, there are two kinds of bad in our life. Bad that happens to us that we have no control over. That's the direct result. And then bad, that's the direct result of the things that we've done. The first kind of bad is like when a tornado destroys your house. And the second kind of bad is like when you land in jail because you pulled a gun at a liquor store. The first kind of bad we call... It happens to people. Don't laugh at me. This happens to people. Okay. The first kind of bad is called a natural evil. And that category includes things like diseases and disasters that we have no control over. And the second kind of bad we call moral evil. And that category includes the consequences of all of our sinful behavior. In the wilderness... The Israelites were facing a lot of natural evils. It was a hostile place to travel. There were dangerous wild animals. There was not enough food or not enough water. It was the heat of the day and the cold of the night. And regarding all of those natural evils, God promised to provide. God supernaturally gives the Israelites what they need to eat and to drink and to maintain their health. The big problem that the Israelites face in the wilderness is not the natural evils, but the moral evils in their own hearts. Most of these evils had their root in the lack of faith. They saw God do amazing things, but they didn't trust God to carry them through. They trusted the Egyptians more than God and wanted to go back into slavery. At least they had onions and watermelons there. The second root of their moral evil was their lack of contentment. Yes, contentment, being satisfied with what you have in the moment, is a Christian virtue. We, the church, need to talk more about contentment. We live in a discontented culture. We live in a culture that tells us that we always need just a little bit more than we already have. No matter how much we have, we think that we're going to be happier if we have just a little bit more. And that discontent not only makes us unhappy, it also dishonors God because it says that God is not a good God or that God is not a God who provides. God gives us everything that we need. It's a lie to say that he can't do that. The Israelites were not content with what they had. They had been slaves, and now they're not content to have Moses rule over them. They had bread, but then they wanted meat. And so they complain against Moses and against God, and they become bitter. And the third root of their moral evil was disobedience, which is really just self-obedience, okay. Everybody's obeying somebody. It's just a question of who you're going to obey. The disobedient person makes himself the authority. Now, I should say that I'm speaking out of long years of personal experience here. This is my besetting sin that I think that I should do things my way, all right. When we do that, we convince that ourselves that we are, in fact, God. It is impossible to please God without obedience. And obedience means doing something you don't want to do. Alright, does that make sense? Right? When there's, a, there's a, 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 a traffic sign out there saying go 35 miles an hour 35 miles an hour speed limit, that sign is there because you want to go 50. That's why it's there. Okay, so if you're going to obey the sign, you're going to do what you don't want to do. So when we're talking about obedience, let's be very, very clear. This means I am, I am going to choose to not do what I want to do, but I'm going to instead do what the Word of God tells me to do. So the moral evils of the people of Israel put them on a collision course with God. Keep in mind that God loves these people. They are his babies. He wants the best for them. And so when they go too far their own way, he uses some fatherly chastisements to bring them back into line. And that's where the bad campgrounds happen. In our own lives, there are times when our faithlessness and disobedience and dissatisfaction finally catch up with us. You can go your own way for a while, but finally, it'll catch up with you. At some point, God will call you onto the carpet, and when he does, it hurts. It hurts like going to the principal's office. Here's the thing to keep in mind. Even the bad camping spots in the wilderness were part of God's plan of salvation for the Israelites. It's too bad that the Israelites didn't choose to do things the easy way, God's way. But even the bad camping spots were part of God's good plan for His people. And the same is true of our lives. And so we thank God for the good times in our lives, but we also thank Him for the hard times in our lives. All right, uh, let's talk about the boring stuff. Most of the place names... And Numbers 33 are actually very boring. Nothing glorious happened. Nothing terrible happened. But life went on. As children of God, I want to encourage you to honor and to respect the boring stuff in your life because most of life is boring and the stuff that happens in most of your life is not going to be mentioned in your eulogy at your funeral, nor will it be mentioned in the police report when you end up in jail. Just boring, everyday stuff. And most of our legacy will be created in those ordinary times. In the going to church each day, uh, uh, each Sunday of the week, we need to make the church part of our daily rhythm. We need to be bringing our children to church with us every week. I think there are a lot of Christians who find themselves in a kind of manic, depressive cycle of addiction from sunlit mountaintops to shadowed darkened valleys. They like the intensity of those places and they're pursuing the intensity of those places and they are avoiding the boring places. I think Jesus tells us to take up our cross daily and to just keep doing this thing day in and day out. Much of the law of Moses is about how we daily and weekly order our lives according to God's will and to God's way. These daily steps with God will lead us in the paths of righteousness. And they will lead us in that narrow way that brings us to eternal life. Let us pray. Father God, we love you and we adore you and we thank you for preserving those people there in the wilderness. And we ask that you would keep us looking forward to that day when we will see you face to face. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.